Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the Grief King Sucks podcast. Last episode was me talking a bit about grief brain and at the start of this episode I actually haven't even quite decided what the title of the episode is going to be. I do know what I want to cover though in this episode because it's something that I've felt quite strongly this week. We're coming up to a year since Craig died so the first year anniversary is the 15th of February and I know you're probably thinking well it's only the 17th of January so why are we already perhaps talking about that anniversary but it's so much more than just that one day it's obviously the lead up to it and I had got some dates in mind that I knew would be reminders and that would probably be tough so things like engagement anniversary and possibly kind of the stag and Hindu anniversary just little dates that might remind me of uh, this time last year and kind of what we were going through but what I realized this week was it's actually a day-to-day process at the moment and I do keep getting reminders of lots of things so each day has got something even if it's really small and to other people might seem insignificant I've found that my brain just seems to fixate actually on on various dates and things that happen so a really good example of today is it was the day I was able to go and actually get Craig from hospital so he'd been in for over 10 days with what we thought was an infection initially but as time progressed we were told that it was the return of the cancer that it was in his brain it was in his spinal cord it was pretty much really seriously spreading the stem cell transplant hadn't worked and that was why he was so poorly and I do remember actually the day before all of a sudden he'd been unconscious for kind of 10 days, really not able to communicate very well at all, been very poorly. I'd, I think I'd had a couple of days off work. I'd been, or certainly been having half days off work so that I could go and visit him, wash him, look after him, sit with him. Um, And I remember the, the, the 16th, so yesterday, I'd had a FaceTime call from him, which I thought was, well, it was lovely, but it was, kind of a bit strange because we had like a 15 20 minute FaceTime and he was sat up in bed and chatty and talking to me and I was thinking this is wow whatever antibiotics they've given him finally for this infection have kicked in and actually what it what it transpired was and I think people who've kind of gone through this uh terminal cancer end of life phase will understand what I'm saying but the doctor actually explained when I went in on the 17th we were having sort of the final meeting with the cancer consultant then with the nurse specialist we were being discharged from the care of the hospital into the charge of our local district nurse palliative care team 
And when I went in on that morning, and so what that meant was that the steroids are really amazing. They're really clever, as lots of these drugs are. It was given to him, and it's designed to perk to perk you up for for a short period of time. And the consultant explained to me and to us on that day that there would be kind of an end point to that, and that it would they would last as long as they could, and that they would eventually stop working which would mean that at that point he would lose that kind of energy and that feeling of being able to do things um and then that would be when the palliative care would come into play something that we hadn't even kind of gone down the route of and so when the consultant had kind of gone and had discharged Craig from kind of his um care we were referred back actually to Craig's original cancer nurse specialist. We'd transferred to a different cancer nurse when he was a stem cell transplant patient. And then because the stem cell transplant hadn't worked, we were transferred back over to the um, original cancer nurse specialist who we'd been in contact with from the very beginning of his diagnosis. And she kind of did a I suppose an exit meeting with us answered any questions that we might have and pushed us in the direction of the GP, the local care teams that we would be in touch with and who would be supporting Craig's treatment from that point onwards. Um, And then we sat around, we had to wait quite a long time because Craig obviously was due to come out of hospital with lots and lots of different kinds of medication and as we know, notoriously slow pharmacies and hospitals mean that that was going to take a couple of three hours. And actually, this is one of my funniest memories of this day was I knew I'd got, <laughs> I knew I'd got some of Craig back when he started to get really grumpy and forthright with the the nursing team. And basically, at one point, he got dressed, got his stuff. And we went out into the reception of the ward and he said to them, I'm going, I'm going home now. You either give me all the drugs that I need or you give me the ones that you can out of the stock that you've got on the ward and that Sally will come back and get the rest of them tomorrow morning. He said, but I'm not spending another second in this hospital. I've been in this hospital for far too long. And that was it. And we left that day and it was very very bittersweet because all I'd wanted for the last 10 days was to have Craig home with me and I'd been so worried because I hadn't had any answers and I was really blind as to what was going on and then I had to go through the kind of the really horrible process of being told over the phone by him that his cancer had returned he was terminal this was the news that we'd been absolutely dreading and I hadn't been with him in person when when we'd got that news And so to be able to have him back and for these steroids to be returning Craig to me as the person that he I knew he was and to know I could just take him home and we were just going to be able to sit on the sofa like we normally did and we were going to be able to go to bed like we normally did. It was just for me. So I was just so happy on that day. Um, And I've I kind of ignored these dates until sort of last week and I mean, I have to say, I don't know why I do it to myself sometimes, but I go back over and reread 
WhatsApp messages from from this time last year, both from Craig and from other friends that we were talking to. And it just did, it pieced together to me kind of what the next few days were and what kind of what was happening and in what order those things happened. And I've I've kind of shared this with a few of my close friends this week about how this day, these these couple of days, I really felt the burden of knowing what Craig's diagnosis was. But at that point, we were really the only people that knew. I, I told my mum a few days before and, and just said to her, look, I have to tell somebody, but you just, you can't tell anybody at the moment. And she didn't. And so Craig came home and Olivia didn't know at this point. Harry didn't know. I think a couple of our close friends had a really good idea of kind of what was going on and and I'd been in touch with a few of them. And I remember Craig saying, look, I don't want to tell anybody tonight. This is, I don't want to do it. So we flipped over into the 18th of January and he had to call his, he called his dad in Australia and his best friends, um, Stu and Tracy as well, who would live over in Tassie. And with the time difference, that, that can sometimes be tricky to do. And so we did those conversations. And then he also spoke to Liv because she was at the house with us. And instead of kind of shielding her from it, I really persuaded Craig that he should just tell her and be honest so that she knew exactly what was going on and kind of how long was was left and so that she could make the most of that time and I'm so glad that he kind of took my advice at that point and did and did tell Olivia which was just awful and just so heartbreaking to see a child have to hear that you know their parent is really poorly and isn't going to be around much longer and it was just it was really really awful that day and so we did those conversations and every time you have to have those conversations where you know the information that's going to be told to people and then you see the impact it has on them particularly if you're facetiming with people as we were those people who were in Australia and I just I genuinely think that some of those conversations they almost haunt me more than conversations I had to have with people when Craig actually died and I mean, I will talk about those at another time, but this emotional burden that you have to just change somebody else's life within seconds just by telling them something, it's it's really hard because you want to shield those people from the pain that you know is going to come from the information that you tell them. And I'm I'm getting emotional now, not because of my own sadness but how how hard it was to tell people that this is what was happening and I think that's one of the things I've been really struggling with this week is that it's that emotion that I've been feeling this week and that reminder of how it had it wasn't just my life and Craig's life anymore that was being impacted it was a lot of people um and I'd been going through this roller coaster for eighteen months, and I'd felt quite 
I had felt quite lonely when we were kind of going through it together because we'd both kept a lot of it just to ourselves and just between us. And it was, yeah, it was just a really hard time to have that burden of, of telling people. But then at the same time, and I know one of my friends has kind of encouraged me to do this this week about reflecting not just on the sad things that happened this time last year because there were also so many happy things. So the 18th of January was the day we unofficially got engaged because we talked about getting married and we basically said in the hospital before we came home, we are going to get married, we're, we're going to get home and we're going to just set that in motion. And I think we both had just agreed we were going to get married, but then on the 18th um, in the evening after we'd spoken to a few people and we'd still got a few other people to talk to, Craig, I remember he actually got down on one knee on the lounge floor and proposed. Obviously, we didn't have a ring or anything like that, but he did. He went through the whole asking me to marry him down on one knee um, kind of process, if you like, which was fab. And then we decided that the very next day we would go into uh, Derby, kind of the nearest city to where we live, and we would just go and buy an engagement ring together and we'd probably go and buy our wedding rings while we were there. So that was amazing because we did that and then we went and had kind of an official proposal um, <laughs> for photo in, in a really lovely um, part of Derby that's kind of near where we live and it got some really good memories for us. So, yeah, the next, the next couple of days, yes, they're kind of really heavy from an emotional burden perspective. They're also really amazing memories because of us getting engaged and... And as funny as it was and as weird as it was, it, it, it worked. And and that set in motion, I'm trying to think when we went to the registry office. I think we must have gone that same, that same day, actually, because officially we were, got engaged on the 19th of January, which is when we agreed the dates with the, the people at the registry office. And... That was when our friends who had offered their house to us, it was like, right, this is it, guys. We, you've got 10 days. We're getting married in 10 days. Um, some of our other friends came around on that Friday for some, you know, kind of congratulatory drinks. And at that point, um, the stag and Hindu got arranged because we decided that that was going to be for the following Thursday because Craig, Olivia, Harry and I decided... We were going to go to Centre Parks for the Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday and then get married on the Tuesday. So it didn't leave much time. And to be honest, <laughs> I'd like to say I was stressed, but I wasn't because we didn't really do much of the organising. Um, our wonderful friends did lots of that for us, as I've talked about before. Um, so as much as there is sadness around this time because... Um, having to tell people of, of Craig's terminal illness and his diagnosis, what quickly happened was just a roller coaster of amazing fun. 
And it just was this machine that, that just picked up speed and the stag and hendies were so fun and were organised on the same night. So I went off on my, my thing and Craig went off on with his boys. And I have to say, one of my favourite memories from, from that night was the boys had stayed kind of here so that Craig could be comfortable and he if he needed to rest he could do and the girls had gone out for dinner and drinks and we the girls came back to the house where the boys were all sat around playing poker talking shit um drinking and I just remember sitting in my kitchen going this is so cool because the people who are here these are some of our closest friends and these people haven't been in a room together some of them ever, and the rest of them, those long, really long-term friends who we've all gone separate ways and grown up and families and everything in life. Life gets in the way and life gets busy. And yet in the space of less than a week, we had all managed to get ourselves on a random Thursday evening in the same place to do a stag and a Hindu for us. And... As much as we haven't managed to necessarily get ourselves organised again, I am very keen that part of the uh, celebration of Craig's life on his anniversary will be the wedding party friends that we had. And then I'm planning a memorial weekend kind of around his birthday for kind of like a wider group of people to come. And so... Basically, I know that those people, they they moved heaven and earth to come to something with less than a week's notice. So they better pull their finger out for the couple of things that we've got coming up. Um, And I do remember really having a serious conversation with Craig. I think probably a couple of three days after he'd come out of hospital. And we did it quite often in, in those weeks when he was here in that we didn't get out of bed too quickly if I had to take Harry to school then yes I kind of got up and I'd then get sort of back into bed and sit in bed with Craig it was super cold I remember at that time of year so we'd have the heating on the fire on and we sat and we just we organized really like sensible things finances and everything like that we had every conversation that you could have and had everything in order and one of Craig's biggest wishes for me and for him and also for the the kids was that there was just going to be no point being sad over this period of time because if we wasted what little time we had being sad, we would miss everything. And he was so right. He was so, so right about this. And so I was just brilliant. Let's get on with it then. Let's Let's strap ourselves in and let's just have this whirlwind of a of a few weeks of stag do's and hen do's and engagements and centre parks and and our wedding and all of the fun stuff that comes around from a wedding and buying a dress and suits and all that kind of stuff and realising that having a really quiet small wedding is amazing and you actually just get the people that are important to you in your life at that time to come and everyone just pitched in and it was just the most amazing day in the amazing most amazing time and I have to say I think Craig's advice at, at that point and the way he kind of set out what he wanted was that he was basically 
he was so black and white about stuff that he was he was basically able to just ignore the fact he was dying. He put that in a box and shut it away because he didn't need to process that. He didn't because he was the one who was going to die. So why put yourself through the stress and anxiety of thinking about the fact that you've got to die and leave behind so many of your loved ones? And I was joked to him. I said, it's you're the one that's got this the easiest. You're the one that just dies. You don't have to deal with all of the paperwork and the aftermath and everything that goes with it. And so we just, we took it from that perspective. And I think we absolutely nailed it. I really do. And I think that I I definitely thought the wedding day, yes, I did cry a tiny little bit at the end, but I'd remember looking around thinking, oh my gosh, there's so many people who were being getting upset at our wedding. And I was like, I am not, this is the happiest day of my life. I'm having so much fun. This is brilliant. And I'd, I'd followed Craig's lead and I'd just put it to one side. And I knew, I knew I was going to spend so much of my time after he died being sad. And I, I was on board with him. I thought, why waste the time that we've got left being sad? Because it, it's, it's not worth it. I mean, let's be honest, I don't think I don't think I quite realised it's going to be as sad as I have been for as long as I have been. But that's another another part of the journey that obviously I'm I'm dealing with on a on an ongoing basis. So I think as often has been happening when I go into a couple of days worth of just feeling really sad and rubbish because I've now started to reach out really quickly to friends and tell them how I feel I think my friends are really good at kind of turning things around a little bit and beaming back at me and saying look we know you're sad and we completely agree and we totally get it and we were devastated when we heard the news and it was it was really hard to take but please 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 remember that don't just think about the the sad things remember there were so many happy things attached to this period of time as well and so it does help. It does help your brain to just flit a little bit from all of the negativeness and the, the sadness. It does make you go, oh, well, OK, yeah, you can cry for a little bit. But also, why don't you look at, you know, some of the photos from those really happy times? So I'd say that's kind of where I am this week. And I actually I've pushed back on a couple of things again. Um. I think Harry's been affected this week. I don't know whether it's the fact that this time of year is just reminding him. I don't know whether he's been picking up a bit on my energy this week as well. But he's he's had a few a few tears and a few moments of, of being really sad. And so I have pushed back on a couple of things that I felt that I could push back on. One of them particularly was to actually be able to spend some more time with Harry in an evening after school and just have some quality one-on-one time with him as well as pushing back or saying can I just see how I feel on that day as to whether I do x y and z and I think quite often in my grief whether it's personal or work as soon as I am able to take responsibility for a decision I find that that can relieve my anxiety levels somewhat when it becomes my, I'm empowered to make a decision that says, 
I only have to do this thing if I feel like I can do it when I wake up on that day. And if I'm not feeling able, by saying no, it's like a weight's been lifted. So it's learning that I can push back a little bit. And at the moment, I feel as though, as sad as I've felt and, and all these memories and these emotions that have come up over the last week, I don't feel as though they're impacting work as much, anywhere near as much as kind of my emotions were back in sort of September, October time. And it is a combination of the fact that I'm so used to being back at work now and I'm so used to knowing kind of what my energy can do in a day. Because I've been back at work so long now, I can almost be a bit autopilot-y. So I can just take my energy down a couple of notches, remove the high, high expectations I have of myself and just move into that slightly autopilot function that I can do as a teacher because I've got 20 years of teaching experience behind me and I can just kind of fall back on that. Um, And it doesn't make me a bad teacher, it just makes me not an absolutely 100% high standard, amazing, outstanding teacher. And that's fine, that's okay, because my students are still getting what they need and, and, and what they can do. So that's been an interesting perspective for me this week and yet another kind of learning curve on this journey that I'm kind of going through. And I mean, I think one of the things I have to be careful of is I'm not sure if I'm setting myself up for disappointment by thinking that as soon as I get past that first anniversary everything's just going to go back to normal and I'm going to feel okay and I think if I even thought that then I would be really foolish and so I suppose this episode does lead on quite nicely from what I was talking about from a perspective of grief brain and how it impacts my ability to attention focus and concentrate and even think about things that I've done people keep asking me to be things like what did you do two days ago and I just go I have no idea I literally can't remember and my brain can't function backwards enough to remember what I did two two days ago so that's really hard but it's just this, it's just this ongoing process and I'm just working through it as best as I can and just being still really grateful of the support that's around me. So, yeah, that's um, that's kind of where I'm at this week and I suppose that's probably quite a good place to finish the episode and hopefully by the time I um, actually edit and publish the episode, I'll have thought of a title. <laughs>